a Highline podcast. This is Ravel, a roundtable show about the complexity of faith in the age of information. My name's Josh. I'm Stephen. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of American Christianity, and we still keep thinking about how to take it seriously, even as we leave some beliefs behind. We think theology should be an exploratory dialogue, so our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities. We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening. Hello, my friends. Oh, I'm starting like no normal people. Oops. <laughs> oh, that's so funny, Josh, that I do that. How are you this week, Josh? I'm doing good. How are you? I am fantastic. Uh, so many. I can see. So many new things. I know. So many new things are happening to us right now. We're in the same room, you and I. And yep. we, have a, we have a new guest host. We do. She's an Enneagram 9. Ironically, she's the ninth guest host of ours. But oh, it's actually really our just original host all along. Emily Reddinghouse is back. back. Beow, 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 beow. Hello. Welcome back, Emily. Hi. And Hello. the three of us are in the same room. For the You're first time in ever. The same room. Emily, I can't believe I just met you in person today to for the very first day. time. Like two hours ago. It's uh, crazy. Amazing. And on top of that, we are recording in Emily's church. So we are officially an actual Christian podcast because we're yeah. doing this podcast in a church and as we all know, you can't be a Christian if you're not in a church. That's true. right. So true. We're here not, we are. We're, we're officially not, a Christian podcast. Amazing. We're not just a Christian-ish <laughs> podcast anymore. That's right. <laughs> we're not phonies. We're legit. Oh, Emily, I missed your voice. I got to tell you. You're in our intro and our mid-roll, but oh my gosh. I, oh, I'm going to cry. It was a wild experiment for the two of us to have all our guests. I And bet. it was delightful. Yeah, it was fun. And each episode was very different, but. I'm so happy to have you back. Oh, I've missed chatting thank with you. you. So um, I guess first, should we say what we're drinking and then we'll oh, get yeah. the update from Emily? Yeah. Josh, you brought us all drinks today. You did? I did. I brought thank us beer you. from Seattle. I'm yes. drinking a, it's called a Dark Star Imperial Oatmeal Stout from Fremont Brewing. Amazing. I love drinking before noon <laughs> on, for the podcast. This is good. Well, it's just breakfast beer. You, oh, oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. This is, I mean, it's an oat stout so you're set um you brought me this uh did we decide it was titan a bourbon barrel peach cider yeah have you tried a sip of it yet after you know i haven't you tried this on alex's episode and yeah. i was like i want some of that yeah I let's, get, let's, that get, a, a let's so get a live reaction let's get here. the live i won't slurp on mike though okay oh that is delightful emily what are you drinking i will be consuming this fremont summer pale ale uh, since I am breastfeeding, I have to be cautious when consuming alcohol. Although, fun fact, the yeast that's used in beer is great for increasing your milk supply. Oh, so, whoa. Yeah. I drink more. So like some women will consume like a beer and then they'll wait a little bit huh. and then they're able to produce more milk. So that's wow. pretty fun. So I will probably have this soon but i'm also drinking a body armor because that also increases milk supply classic emily double fisting what is body armor is it like a muscle milk kind of thing or like no they're like uh gatorades oh okay yeah excellent and it's watermelon strawberry flavored so yeah two fisting it 
per <laughs> usual. So Mark you got, it on your bingo cards. You kind of already started it. Give us the update. We got to hear from oh you. What was my. the last two months been like for Emily and Alex Reddinghouse? You know, it's really weird to think that two months have already come and gone. Two months. Two, two moons. Months. Yes. Two moons have passed. Two moons have passed. And little Thea... She's still little. Uh, she was five pounds, 15 ounces when she was born. Wow. Just the tiniest little thing. So on the last episode that I was on, y'all heard I was scheduled for a C-section and that it did in fact happen. Mm. Um, it was great. Honestly, best birth experience. I, Alex and I had talked about for the longest time wanting to have like a natural birth. We had prepared for it. Our classes and everything prepared us for it. And then when we went in, for the manual version to flip her because she was sunny side up. It did not work. Oh, right. This was the breach. This was the breach. We tried to solve. Yes. And so she was unsuccessfully. This was the breach when Josh thought them and she was crowning oh when yes. we were recording. That's right. I've told multiple people, multiple people that story. <laughs> so, so I love that this captured on my. No. Uh, and so we learned, though, at her birth when they basically cut me open and took her out she had a short umbilical cord and that's why she could not turn oh whoa so there really was a, a reason as she to was, why she was literally at the and end of she knew the that rope. and you know we laughed when they tried to flip her because her heart rate dropped and our doctor was like hey what's going on like why aren't you turning little girl and then when it came to the day of and they pulled her out, they're like, oh, this is why. This is exactly why your heart rate dropped, because you're basically it. anchored. You wow. can't rotate. Wow. Yeah, that um, would do The it. whole time, it was 40 minutes from the time they got me to the hospital room and back into the room after the operation. 40 minutes Whoa. was all it took. Whoa. Local anesthesia in my back. It felt like a bee sting. Uh, I had tattoos that were more painful than getting an epidural. So that's exciting. Yeah. Wow. The, the anesthesiologist was very proud of me. He, I'm pretty sure I was his favorite what patient that day. tattoo was more painful? My feet. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Wow. definitely. So, yep, anesthesia. And then wow. they laid me on the table and put up a curtain in between me. And the guy was talking to me. And I asked him, so when are you going to get started? And he said, oh, we're already halfway. Like, they're going to pull her out here any minute. I had no idea. Like, my organs were sitting on top Whoa. of me. I had no clue. That's so wild. It's crazy. And then, sure enough, they just poke her little head up over the, the little oh. curtain. And they said, here she is. Epidurals, okay. man. Whoa. And then they took her off and cleaned her up. And then they laid her on me. And she cried. And she had that sweet baby's breath. Just, like, filling mm. my face. And I was crying. And she was crying. And Alex, I'm sure, was laughing at us because we're just, like, both crying. <laughs> But it was a wonderful experience. Wow. Like, wow, I I would not change anything about it. I know I envisioned a completely different birth experience, like wanting to like scream in agony, trying to push her out and the, hearing like, her cry that type. way. But having the experience that I did, I was able to be more present and I felt more in tune with my body so much so that. After she was born and they're like doing the APGAR testing and everything, the anesthesiologist wanted to make sure that I felt good because normally there's a medication that they give you once she's born or he, whomever, because you it'll start to wear off and so you'll feel nauseous. So he wanted to make sure that I wasn't going to just like hurl right there in the operating room. So he asked me, he goes, how are you feeling? Is everything OK? And I just took a big sigh and I said, I just really want a milkshake. 
And I feel like I wouldn't have been able to say that if I had a natural birth. Like I would have just been in so much pain and I would have been so focused on her and worrying like, is she's okay? Am I okay? But instead, I was numb from the waist down, had no clue what was going on. So I was able to just be like, I'm craving a milkshake. Alex, go get me a milkshake. And (laughs) that's wild. Amazing. It was truly amazing. In the first two months of her being home. Oh, you gave us a tour of the house. I gave you a tour of the house. Yeah. It seems like everything is wonderful. Your dog is very protective and loving, very loving and protective of her. And it's so funny. Like the first night we had her home, she was just crying and crying, but it had nothing to do with her. It had to do with our neighbors because they left their dogs outside all night to just bark and bark and bark and be super rambunctious. And that was keeping her up. She was not used to that. And so she was just frantically crying and we couldn't calm her down. And it was the typical bringing home experience where like you think you have everything figured out because you're in the hospital and there's people monitoring you. And then once you're home, you're on your own. There's no nurses there to be like, oh, yeah, we can take her to the nursery and you can sleep for three hours. Yeah, that that was not the luxury we had at the parsonage, but two months of her, I can't imagine life without her now. It's like, she's here. It's, wow. it's weird. You and I are seeing each other for the first time, like a meaningful visit mm-hmm. for the first time in like eight years. Um, Yeah. I think just about like pretty much since we graduated and I was your across the street neighbor for a while. Yes. Motherhood suits you very well. Oh, it's very nice to see. I Thank love it. you. Yep. I love it. You yeah, enjoy- it is really nice to see you. It's crazy that we've recorded what 40 plus episodes together yeah and we've never met i know on and that on that note we got to say that this episode is going to come out just a few days after our f- <gasps> one year anniversary <gasps> that's right happy one year our one year is september 16th we released our first oh, three episodes that my day my goodness this is episode we just blew past episode 50 without making any fanfare of it josh oh yeah that's but true i'm sorry we're past <laughs> 50 episodes wow my gosh we've had all the highline hosts on to date, we have new Highline shows coming, by the way, but... Uh, oh. <laughs> what? Well, yeah. first of all, thank you to all of the uh, Highline hosts that we had, and thank you, Stephen, for organizing that. Yeah. That was a pleasure, having other people join in. It, was, it felt very different, having each individual on, which Yo, was really cool. It totally did. What was your experience of not being able to bring our own topics for two months, Josh? Um, <laughs> it, it was interesting, to be honest. Uh, I A couple times, I did feel a little interviewee myself like because i want to know those people Mm. like i know emily better because we've done like 30 40 episodes together yeah and so like we just like started naturally flowing after like a couple episodes but in some ways it felt like the first episode each time oh yeah it totally oh i have to like build rapport with this person and like get to know them and i like i want a sense of their faith journey but i also don't want it to be all about them yeah and i want to be included in this discussion what was really nice and i wish i could have engineered it such that everyone had had their no normal people out already because oh, yeah. Alex being able to say just like go listen to that if you want to hear the specifics but I'm here on Ravel to talk about this like that was really nice that was very handy um yeah. I remember texting you in the middle of Tracy's episode being like I'm kind of in KNP mode sorry but it was also <laughs> great because like like we would not have gotten to experience their like faith emphasis as well wow on right. a no normal people episode yeah so that that was awesome yeah. It was very good. It's very refreshing to hear your voice, Emily. This is so nice. This is... Oh, I want to I wanna hear from you now. I, I feel like a lot of this 
today is just going to be debriefing. Mm -hmm. First, I want to hear your, like, what was your experience of listening to Ravel without having been on Ravel? Mm -hmm. And then if you have specific notes on the episodes we did, this, it would be so much fun to just like Ravel whatever topic we want out of those. I have to say it was really refreshing but also very sad to have to just listen and not be recording. Like I enjoyed the nearly two months of just being present with Thea and enjoying motherhood, you know, first time round kind of thing. But there were times where I would listen to an episode and I would just be like, oh, I would be saying something right about now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, right. This is where I would jump in. Because we have, that was a thing that I learned, Josh, is that the three of us very much have a rhythm. And that bringing in a different third person, like we had to recraft a rhythm with every single person, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, that was the thing was it wasn't the same guest host for you guys each time. It was a different person every (laughs) episode. Right. But that was what was so refreshing was to hear Mm. different voices with the two of you and to see how the episode would ravel out. And it was so awesome. It really was delightful to hear other people's topics and their views on it and even just the energy that they would bring to the podcast, like especially like Alex. I loved <laughs> Alex screaming, I'm upset. Yes. Like way back off his just mic. Loved it. And the fact that like primarily his episode was one where he shared basically like I've stepped away and mm-hmm. I don't want to bash on you know, Pastor Emily's toes <laughs> because she's like the complete opposite spectrum from where he is. But I admired that so much. And it's because we really don't talk about that mm. on mm-hmm. our podcast. We are three people who come from pretty much, we believe something. something. We believe something. Something. We don't have, we don't have that voice or that narrative that's speaking to, yeah, I don't. Yeah. And so I think for us to be a podcast that's talking about deconstruction while we're actively deconstructing is great, but it would be so nice to have a voice that's already deconstructed mm-hmm. and to be like, this is what I have to bring to this week's topic. Yeah. I really loved his episode. I really loved um, one of the things that he had shared that I thought was really intriguing. And I kind of want to see... Now, after you guys have recorded with him, how you feel um, the it was talking about the terminology. And I think, Josh, you were the one speaking to about being agnostic mm-hmm. and using kind of that terminology differently. Do you f- still hold on to what? Yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot since we recorded with Alex about like the relationship between faith and agnosticism. Mm-hmm. I keep thinking about that. I don't know like where else to go with that. Like, I don't know if there would be a different label or. To me, it sounds like just another way for you, Josh, to say something along the lines of, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I don't hold on to the certainty I used to. Yeah. You know? Mm. Yeah. To me, it seems like a, to, it feels like a reiteration of like faith and doubt being, or certainty and doubt being like two sides of the same coin. Like yeah, you can't have one right. without the other. That's how I feel about faith and agnosticism. Mm. The like okay. true faith has to be not completely sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been thinking about that a lot since that episode. And I I, I think you're absolutely right that, like, having someone involved in the conversation, whether it's a podcast or a church or whatever it is, like, having someone who is 
not just like devil's advocate, like someone who's like trying to argue for another side, but like, like someone who's literally are. like, I'm not completely on board with this. Here's my perspective. I like that. I think it's so important. I think it's important. I think what he brought to the table that was comforting was as someone who has actively deconstructed and is now on that other side of the coin for him to share his opinions and his thoughts was really refreshing mm. and I could just sit back and listen and like I really wanted to just be like oh, I have something to say and I want like I support you but I couldn't because I didn't have yeah the means to do that well that's that if anything that was the thing I was the most sure of as we were recording with Alex was like Emily would be loving this right now oh. and like Emily is not the kind of person to be offended by anything you have to say about what you have a problem with, what you're upset with, where your grievances lie. Right. Because many of like Alex and I have been speaking a lot privately and many of the things he has a problem with are things that I have a problem with mm, and that mm-hmm. we've talked about on Ravel. But the the fact that our paths have led us to like me continuing to try to be a faithful person. Yeah. And him just. You know, I love the way you talked about at one point you, you come up to the edge of your 51% Christian, mm-hmm. 49% mm. not. And then so, at, at some There's point something. that flips Yep, and you feel that in your bones. It was like, Ooh, I've come close to having that flip happen. Mm-hmm. And then just something else happens to remind me like, no, there's good stuff back here, which is another thing we talked about on his episode is. Because we were using breakup language, mm-hmm. oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was yeah. like, I've been broken up with once, with who is now my wife. So, like, for me, the pattern in my life is yes, things are hard, but it's worth sticking it out with the thing you first fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that is like why I still call myself a Christian. It's why I still pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Yeah. Journal about scripture. You essentially did a breakup with, like, in your own faith journey. Yeah. yeah, for quite a while. Oh, I yeah, I love that language. I also appreciated the language that Alex was using around grieving. I appreciate that language a lot because it is a sense like a loss. You know, we think of grief and we think of just a death or we think of something traumatic. And while I feel like in a sense his experience in the church was in a way traumatic, the grieving process of him stepping away and seeing how his experience was vastly different from others and what he was learning and the toxicity around that just oh, i'm getting goosebumps just mm. thinking about it and well to me that was like such a common thread with all of the guest hosts like whether it was like alex wow, and kevin right. like both feeling like they full deconverted or it was like bringing dixie in to talk about fertility issues yeah um and like Mm -hmm. the whole like grieving process there but then like i feel like a big common thread throughout all of them was like here's a here's the things that are really hard to talk about in the church yeah yeah for some reason we just like like to slip past or we like to give like platitude answers to like oh it'll get better or like yeah you just need to really believe or like drink a little bit of wine settle your stomach it'll happen like i feel like the (laughs) that was the dumbest i can't believe people have said that um, but, like, I feel like that's a common thread throughout all of those episodes. And, of course, each one was, like, individual to each person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Marv felt like what wasn't talked about was science and religion. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. And I, I think that's such an interesting challenge for the 
the church at large in like any community or any group of people or like even us, like yeah. we are a group of people like trying to talk about Christianity and like what meaning it still has. And like the challenge still stands of like, how do you include those conversations and those people that are just so easy to like skirt past? Yeah. Right. Right. Which and is the, a huge challenge. Well, and the thing about the complexity of everyone's story and like the emotions that are, you just can't separate, mm-hmm. you know, the feeling of, your bed going icy when you tell your husband you're not the man I married, you know, like Tracy's story, like the emotions that are just so wrapped in there. Like you can't pull those, you can't, you can't disconnect those, you know, there's no surgery that could successfully get clean margins on getting the emotion out of the story and being able to stand like apart from it objectively. Like Mm -hmm. that's what Tracy did for me was invite me into like, no, this was actually terrifying to have a spouse start questioning what I thought we were in a hundred percent agreement on even a year ago, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Just the complexity of every story. And like, I feel like some people I've been in conversation with lately is like, it's easy to hand wave away deconstruction type Christians for just Mm -hmm. being like, Oh, you just are trying to find a faith that's more convenient for like your political stance or if it doesn't feel right. Like, and a lot of people say like, well, facts don't care about your feelings you know however triggering that phrase can be for who (laughs) likes to trumpet it but man i i I just i kept coming away with the emotion in everyone's stories yeah thinking of cat too oh yeah like her talking about growing up catholic in a very like maybe kind of rote or stereotypical catholic upbringing like the private school yep going to mass every sunday but not really connecting with it finding the emotionality to faith by going to a very different expression of church Mm -hmm. like calvary chapel and then now being in a space where she's kind of standing in between and like observing on the fence observing people like steven torna who's like diving into eastern orthodoxy (laughs) you know like (laughs) and then there's you who's also (laughs) i don't know what i am yeah you're stepping in many puddles right now right yeah i do that so, Emily, you've spoken specifically to Alex. I mean, we've name dropped almost everyone at this point, but you've spoken specifically to Alex mm-hmm. now. I want to know what you thought of Kevin's idea of, yeah, like quote unquote manipulation. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Being a good thing in church. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it yeah. still serves a purpose and it's a tool that church people might just need to be honest about how they're utilizing it. Yeah. Part of me agrees. um, And I think it comes from someone who is actively serving in, in that role as a pastor. But I also come back to the word. (laughs) What does the word mean? And like, maybe we don't have a word that Mm. best describes how manipulation is actively working I don't think it's good in the sense of manipulating is good. I think a new word could be facilitating. Yes. I think curation works too. Curation. Like I'm just thinking mm-hmm. like you just gave us a tour of your church and like I'm just thinking about how beautiful your sanctuary is and how most churches that were built in the last century before the turn of the century are usually really beautiful. Like they're this really unique architecture from like the 50s to 70s there's usually stained glass no matter the tradition there's yeah like really good uh entryways and design and 
I feel like to me, I just always notice like how churches tend to curate beauty and they want beauty to be a part of the experience that like draws us in. Right. And that's manipulation, essentially. Like it does serve a purpose. But I feel like what you're getting at is like the baggage of the word manipulation. The baggage of the word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's even the same with the word deconstruction. Totally. Um, Absolutely. And And that was Tracy's problem with calling it deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. You don't like the label. You like what the label stands for. Sure. Um, Or you feel like you're doing what those people are doing, but you can't like back that. I love that that Alex kept speaking in terms of team. Like I'm not on that team anymore. Exactly. I love that, especially being a huge sports person. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Team was a good word. Right. Kevin's episode, what I really appreciated was how he was able to speak on the worship experience specifically at church camp and how he Mm. when he was uh, talking about the people who were working and how they you know weren't paying attention to to certain settings or were kind of falling behind on making sure things were done i feel that in the church like as a whole the church is slacking on you know are we setting the mood are we actually paying attention to how people feel in the moment are we paying attention to what's around us like are we setting the stage properly for worship or for bible study or for electionary service or whatever the case may be because it's true like we all i think as christians have an obligation to make sure that we are staying true to what's happening in front of us and what's happening behind us and what's happening peripheral of us and if we are slacking off i keep doing air quotes because it just fits because we can see each other we can now. see each other if we <laughs> if we slack off and we don't set the lights to where they need to be like if we're not engaging in the topics the way that they should be engaged on if we're not including the people whose voices are not being heard if we are just focused on you know personal agendas in church we are doing a disservice and I feel like he was speaking to that with his specific experience of, you know, like the lights not being set on the stage and people not paying attention. And for him to say, no, like you need to think about the people here. Like we are setting this tone for what is going to happen. Having the center stage, the single light or having the lights off or having the lights on or, you know, having the sound quality be good. That really does change the tone of what's happening and how you're engaging with people. and. That happens in church. How are we engaging people? Are we setting the tone for what we actually stand for, like what we actually want church to accomplish? Because if we're not, then that really breaks my heart. So, One interesting bit of background that I have on Kevin as well. I think he talked about being an Enneagram 4. He mm-hmm. did, yes. Um, very much being into like setting the scene, creating the... And we talked about that with his DJ experience. Um, and I don't know if you watched the the video that he produced that we put a link in the show notes for. I was I was going to and I haven't People yet. People can I still need go to. watch it. That's still up in his Dropbox. It's okay. just linked to that. But uh, man, knowing the time he spent putting into that, like it very much like his thoughts are so like I feel like he's very in line with what his personality is mm-hmm. and how he identifies through the Enneagram. Like, of course, a four would care about this, you know, and we need people to care about that. Right. The other part is that he is such a relational person. He will do anything to make people feel included, welcome, feel like they are like, it's, it's good that they're here, you know? Mm -hmm. 
And the, the background that I have is this church camp that he goes to. He, he still goes not identifying as a Christian, but he goes to help set the scene supporting his best friend who is a Christian and leads worship Mm. at the camp. So setting the stage with that intro video and then getting everything just so to transition into let my friend feel like he's doing his good work, you know, Mm. as the, Mm -hmm. as the worship leader. I love that about Kevin too. Just like I will do whatever I can to help create the space. Yeah. Oh, that's so refreshing. So good. I just love the element of I can support someone in this particular situation and not have to be on the same boat that they're on. Totally. Yeah. So for Kevin to say, I'm going to set the stage, like I'm going to make sure everything is the way it needs to be for you to have this experience and to have this moment. And I don't have to actively be in that same moment with you. That's so refreshing. That's how we as Christians need to engage the rest of the world as we mm. speak to non-Christians, I feel like. Is I want to be in this space with you, but not in that way. I want to be able to say, here we are in this space, and I don't have to be in the same boat as you. But we can still be. And we don't even have to have a be. faith conversation, or I don't have yeah. to try and evangelize. I don't have to try to convert you. I don't have to try to show you my knowledge of Christianity or biblical scholarship. I can just, as a Christian, be who I am and be present with you. And you can have this moment as you are. And I don't have to infringe on that at all. Totally. Oh, yes. Oh, very Mm. good. But again, it's hard to make space for. It is. I think like, I just keep thinking about like the curation of a conversation. Like actually I've been wanting to touch on that (laughs) ever since we started doing this episode that like, Steven, each, each of us having to like almost recraft what the feel is going to be like with each individual joining the podcast. Wow. Yeah. Like it almost feels like starting from scratch in a sense Mm. of like needing to like lay the groundwork of like, it's okay to have a conversation here and it's okay to disagree and we're not going to like attack each other for disagreeing, even though we know we're on the same page or like just last night I was having a seven, some beers with some people and the conversation came around to Christianity and I knew that one of the guys sitting down, he didn't seem like he was a Christian. Like, he leaned over to someone he knew, and he's like, is everyone a Christian here? And it was in that moment that I was like, well, let's, uh, let's like, steer the conversation towards, like, not necessarily just about Christianity, maybe. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I didn't say that explicitly, but we were, like, talking about, like, life purpose and, like, meaning. And, and one person was, like, just talking about Christianity. And so I tried to steer it, like, more generally to, like, curate the conversation a little bit to, like, have it be a little bit more inclusive for anyone and not like it's it is so interesting to me how i think that there are a lot of churches that truly do want to be welcoming i think there's lots of communities or even digital communities like podcasts that truly do want to welcome people and it's just so easy to either purposely or accidentally not be inclusive about something like the fertility conversation Mm -hmm. great example lots of women struggle with fertility how many churches make a point to talk about it oh Yes. You know, like, or, or like science and religion. Like, it's so easy to just like be like, well, that's not really what we're here to do. Like, we're here to talk about religion, not science and religion. Yeah. Like, right. Totally. It's so easy to not curate a conversation, I think. And like going that extra mile to curate a conversation, whether it's like with a large organization like a church or with just three people intentionally trying to welcome people and 
sometimes I think people are too explicit about it. Like, mm-hmm. like if every time we welcome a guest host, I was like, hey, I just want you to know that this is a safe space. Like, like sometimes it comes across as like way too cheesy and fake <laughs> and like, like performative and like flashy and not authentic. Yeah. Or it feels like, or it feels like maybe it's not. Like if oh, I have sure. to make a point to say this is a good space, like you can then disagree really with me. A- then maybe, maybe there's like there's like a little bit of a person that's like, oh, can I though? Like if you had to say it. It's like when someone goes to say, no offense, but, and then they say something offensive. Yeah. It's exactly what it is. For some reason, this conversation has reminded me of this book that I read for work, actually. It's this book called Setting the Table. Oh, that's a great book. You read it? Yes. Oh. So it's by Danny Meyer. Have you read it, Stephen? I haven't. Okay. So it's by this guy named Danny Meyer. He's a restaurateur in New York and he started a like a hospitality group Mm -hmm. uh, that teaches other restaurants how to be hospitable. And he wrote this book called Setting the Table that's all about it. And it's really specific to the restaurant industry, even though he tries to like make it a little bit more general. Like you can be hospitable in whatever business you host, like whether it's a hotel or um, a car wash or like you can just like make hospitality part of who you are and what your company is. Mm -hmm. And um, so much of what he talks about in there is like, how do you set the table in a way that like you don't have to talk about how you're setting the table? Yeah. Mm. Like how do you just make it like you so ingrained in who you Injustice. are that it, like it just happens and you don't have to say like, oh, we're going to do this. Like we're doing this. Yeah. It's so important. And I feel like that's really relevant for like, I think the blind spot, curating a conversation, the blind spot of some churches though, maybe not even a blind spot. I think the, some churches do it on purpose. And I think the reasoning is, you know, we're trying to be a church that appeals to, first time guests. Mm. So we have to say the things on a constant loop because the assumption is that every Sunday morning is someone's first time. Oh, sure. You know, like there needs to be an altar call every Sunday, like that kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. That's what it is. And making sure you hit the, uh, I don't know, buzzwords or just the talking points. Honestly, it's just like, these are the things we stand for. And we're going to remind everyone in the room about that. And then make sure everyone who's heard it for three years straight knows that we're saying it for the sake of the person sitting next to you who's never been to church before mm-hmm. or is coming into this church for the first time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's definitely it. We're going to take a quick break to say a few thank yous. Then we'll be back to our conversation. Thank you to our generous patrons for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Y'all are such a huge encouragement to us. If you'd like to support future episodes of Ravel, visit patreon.com slash ravelpod or by tapping the link in the show notes. Thank you to everyone who is giving five-star ratings and thoughtful reviews on Apple Podcasts and to everyone who contributes to our weekly discussions at RavelPod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course, much love to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music in full color. And thank you to the Highline Media Network for having us as one of their founding podcasts. Here's a quick preview of a recent episode from our sister show, No Normal People. For the flourishing of humanity, like drawing us toward that instead of pushing yeah. us toward that. And wow. because God is, is ahead and God is luring us in that kind of way, God's judgment is not something that comes down on us because in in the next moment mm. we God is drawing us again and so the only judgment of God is in that moment 
of mourning when you choose when you might not choose what is most loving and good and creative. But in that exact next moment, God is there again, drawing you. And now back to the conversation. Alex, Kevin, we've got a couple on the into roster mm-hmm. there. So I want to hear about, let's go with the whiskey bench, shall we? Oh, Stephen yeah. Torna and Orthodoxy. <sighs> Stephen, we need to have a conversation <laughs> for good reasons. Um, <laughs> no, I th- and I feel like I came to that episode with a completely, well, I came to every episode with like an open heart, but I really came to that episode because I do not know anything about Eastern Orthodox religions. Mm. And, oh. and so I honestly had to pause that episode a couple of times to go and like <laughs> Google <laughs> Scholar or, you know, whatever, like wiki search and be like, I want to know more about like this specifically. And yeah, I that's really, smart. Do your own research. There's a lot of misinformation out there. Research. Mm-hmm. You are your own best scholar. <laughs> Just kidding. Don't listen to us. Josh and I are being <laughs> smart asses. Um, Which for the record, we don't beep that word because it's in the Bible. Yeah. Yes, it is. In case you forgot. I know it's been a while. (laughs) What's the Bible again? Right. (laughs) Um, Anyway, Eastern Orthodoxy. Eastern Orthodoxy. Uh, One of the things that I was curious about, what was it specifically that drew him in? And was it something that was long term, like he saw this coming as a potential place where he would land on the religious spectrum? Or was this like... Boom. The, I guess this is where I'm going to end up on the religious spectrum. Well, so part of it I know after making Whiskey Bench long enough with him is that as he and I both consider like how our faith informs our political opinions, mm-hmm. the more he and I on Whiskey Bench talk about the Enlightenment and how the world was before mm. the Enlightenment and what the world is like after the Enlightenment. I know he's doing a lot of thinking of something happened during the, during the Enlightenment and maybe it wasn't the best for us. Even oh. though even though he and I can both take very libertarian stances about many things, that is very like in the numbers, in the it's very orange, sure. right, in uh, spiral dynamics. So we can look at things through that frame. You know, I think of like what we call Renaissance man, mm-hmm. you know, like Ben Franklin, right? Yeah. The, the scientist, the polymath, you know, writer, orator, philosopher, political thinker, all that. Like we think about that being the age of the enlightenment and looking at what the world was like before that and wondering, was there something we lost in the process? Right. Yeah. And looking to more ancient traditions of Christianity to recover some of what we may have lost in that global process of like the enlightenment kind of exploding out of Europe. I know that's some of the background. Okay. Yeah. I would Which like was to another know more. fascinating part of that conversation too, like talking about how some theologies quote unquote conveniently line up with certain political parties, mm-hmm. you know, and, and why those, those lines end up getting drawn which it makes you, you it makes you uh, for me I was kind of thinking how it's amazing how we don't have any more political parties then like you would think oh my with, gosh, right? with how many like denominations <laughs> right up here you would think that political parties would be the same where it's like oh we're sort of like the green party but we're like this instead so we're not the green party we're whatever name the party would be see it's easier like 
<laughs> I mean, into political philosophy, like you lose, like if you specify too much, you're not building your platform wide enough to include more people. And the more people you have, the more power you have. Right. So like, I honestly think of the dichotomy of Republican and Democrat the same way as I think of what many people talk about the dichotomy between Catholicism and Protestantism. Yeah. Even though we know there are hundreds of Protestant That's true. denominations, but we talk about it in binary terms because mm-hmm. then it's an easy label. It's an easy identifier. And orthodoxy too. Totally. Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, see, I know I see the point you're making though. Yeah. I think it's a lot easier. I kind of understand Torna's like draw to orthodoxy. Like even though I don't think based off this episode, I don't think that he's necessarily like, completely bought into it. Like he's going to convert to orthodoxy or like mm-hmm. be regularly involved in a church. But like, I, I kind of get the attraction to it because I think it's been a while since I mentioned it, but like part of my personal attraction is something like the Episcopal church or maybe even the mm. Catholic church, even though I think I'm more attracted to the Episcopal church is that like, there've been so many times in my life that I just wish I had a prayer to pray. Mm. Like, I, to, I like to recite like like something that I didn't have to come up with. And it's like such a little thing. Like that is such a little detail of like spirituality compared to like <laughs> the breadth of what it means to like theologize and have a a like a systematic organization. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> there's yeah. so many other like factors. It's one little grain of sand in the sandbox. Man. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I get the calling or like the the attraction to tradition. Like mm-hmm. I was talking with some friends just last yesterday about like how it's so easy to recognize purpose in hindsight. Like you look back at history and you're like, oh, the purpose of that war was to do this, or the purpose of me being at that place was this. But like it's so hard to recognize that in the, in the center of it. And I think like similar to religious traditions, it's so easy to look back on like orthodoxy or church fathers or John Wesley like the the founders of things and it's so easy to like almost simplify i think to like oh this is what it is this is what it's meant to be right versus like something that just happened like like marcel like we were just talking about marcel earlier yeah (laughs) like it's way harder it's like easier to see the nuance the closer we are to it i think sure yeah versus like when we're so far away from it and it's like in the past we're like oh it's really simple like we need to get back to the basics and you know what I mean? Like, I don't know what the name of that would be, but I feel like that's a sort of hindsight bias almost. Uh, yeah, I can see that. But it's not quite the same as hindsight bias. Hindsight bias is more like you do a thing and then after the fact, you're like, oh, I knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm. So it's not quite the same thing, but it's like similar. It's, similar. it's, like, mm. it's like a rose colored historicity. Yeah. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. yeah. Throw it to our first guest, Katie, talking about youth groups. So one of the things that reminded me of my experience of youth group, was, well, one, actually, it was seeing, well, I guess hearing because we weren't in the same space, but hearing group how groups were separated by gender and age, my jaw dropped the floor. But then I was reminded of, wait a second, I was part of groups that did that as well, like chrysalis. Mm-hmm. Chrysalis were weekend retreats where we were separated by gender and so there was no reason for me to be in shock of that and yet i still was and a part of me was like why why was i so like okay with that in the moment of being in chrysalis and being okay with separation of by gender it's because we shouldn't be like 
we can have those hard conversations about like sex or about, you know, abortion or about whatever you want to talk about on the faith spectrum. And we can be engaging with people of the opposite sex. It's okay. And yes, there may be times where you would prefer to be separated, but it's not about being comfortable all the time. Mm. Yeah. What a, what a missed opportunity to train us to sit in uncomfortable spaces. Yeah. And then learn to be able, like, learn to trust that you will leave that uncomfortable space better for it. Mm-hmm. Or at least have something to work on, you know, if everything right. is like kept comfortable and you leave youth group only thinking about the game you played and how epic that round of ultimate frisbee was. Yeah. Versus what the youth pastor tried to share. And even if like you leave and you say, you know, we were talking about this and I felt uncomfortable. That's great. Like be able to go home and tell your parents that that happened because then that allows them to engage in that space with you and you can learn something maybe from that angle when you come home and you can return to youth group and maybe feel a little more comfortable. You don't have to completely be on board with it, but it's just another avenue for you to explore. And when you are so concerned about how people are going to feel or when you're so concerned about saying the right thing or making sure you're not offensive or using the correct terminology, it's like even today, I cannot tell you how many times my dad has two daughters. They both now have birthed children and he is still uncomfortable with like the words boobs or like talking about a period. The man is like almost in his 60s. He's been in a household of women most of his life and he still has a hard time being around those topics of conversation. Mm. So imagine being a youth group Mm. where you're separated by gender or you know, the cutoff age is when you're in seventh or eighth grade. So if you're in sixth and seventh grade, these are the topics you're going to talk about. Imagine then going into the youth group later on when you're in eighth grade, freshman, sophomore, and these are the topics you're talking about. That would be so unsettling because you're not prepared for it. Like, this is what we were talking about in sixth grade. This is what we're talking about now. I don't like this. I want to go and hang out with this group instead as a freshman in high school because I was not prepared for what these conversations were going to be like i wasn't prepared for this group of people to engage in these topics with me that's so frustrating Mm. keep it in the into family then we might as well because i i very often think of pops and tracy as just like a singular unit which (laughs) in very many ways they kind of are like (laughs) they've been married 40 years 39 yeah 39 almost 40 years wow the way they crew together i like i I don't necessarily want to treat both of their episodes as just like respond to them as a couple but let's start with tracy's side because the i that i think that was probably one of my favorites to sit in on and just like i almost felt like i was just like sitting at her feet for a while and just like story time hearing her experience because the story time for me was giving me a glimpse at what it must have been like to be dixie while i started deconstruction Because I was, you know, I was the spouse who started deconstructing very early, and we talked about us fighting about the reality of global flood and Noah. Yeah. You know, that was something Dixie and I actually fought about. And it was because, like, I was so charged up and, like, feeling really excited about the new ways to read scripture and, like, interpret the stories as spiritual truth more than what I, you know, felt like I just came out of my first church context is just like yeah no mm-hmm. it existed and we just accept that 
So just listening to Tracy, I was just like, oh my gosh, of course it would be terrifying. Yeah. Of course it would be that way. Yeah, I feel like she really allowed us to enter into her reality and for her to be vulnerable about her fears and the terror of here I am with my spouse and he is going through this deconstruction and I'm not on that level with him. We almost think of if you're in a partnership, a relationship, if you're married, that you have to constantly be like on the parallel. You have to be in line. You have to have everything going in sync. And when one goes one way, you either feel like I have to go this way, but I'm going to be miserable. Or if I go completely off, we can't work. It's like, no, like you can be like this and you're still like there's always going to be this ebb and flow, this changing of dynamics, because you're still individual people. Just because you join in a marriage or a civil union, whatever, you're not, I hate the expression, I found my missing half, Mm -hmm. and now I'm whole. No, 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 you're still a whole person. Tracy was a whole person when she entered into her marriage with Marv. That has not changed. She was still 100% her. She is now engaging in a journey of life as an individual with someone else, Mm. which means that there's going to be ebbs and flows as a couple and ebbs and flows as an individual. And they do not have to be in line. So for her, for her marriage, you know, the chunk of time where he was working on what he believed and she was really wrestling with that. What do you think she felt like on an individual level? Because if she was feeling one way about her spouse to now her reflecting on herself being like, well, what do I believe? Like questioning and doing internal deconstruction herself, in a sense, not matching what her partner was doing. They're not deconstructing together. They're not doing it in the same way. They're not coming to the same conclusions. Like that would be really hard. And if you feel like you can't do that, you want to just kick the bucket and go. But she stuck it through and she's like, nope, I'm, you know, 39 years and we're we're still together and we're still in this partnership we call marriage together and we are able to be in these spaces as is you're making me think of how a lot of marriage books talk about the spectrum of dependent independent and then somewhere in the middle is the healthy interdependent Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. right we don't have to be in lockstep all the time, right? I almost brought that up on Kat's episode because I think that that's such an important description of the difference between relationship and codependency. Yeah. Like you can, yeah. you can actually be like interdependent with people, yeah. like whether it's an individual or a community and it not be and that's where, codependent. That's where individualism really like stands out and says like, I know I'm being told by many people that I should be thinking this, believing this, acting like this. Mm-hmm. But that's not resonating with me right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know, how Kat talked about, like, you know, the magic wore off, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or we, we use the word disenchantment. Like I had a moment of like, oh, this church community is going a place that I don't think I want to go. You yeah. Know? It's lost its shininess. Yeah. But for me, what that what that's teaching me right now is like, even if a church community is doing one thing, that doesn't necessarily mean I just have to wholesale find a new church community who's like exactly in step with me if i have an interdependent relationship with my church you know they can care about something i don't necessarily have to care as much about that thing but like i'm willing to be here and be in community right Mm -hmm. you know that's kind of like elevating it from a 
pair bonded marriage relationship to parishioner to the church, right? Yeah. You know? Even if well, like, well, the pastor hasn't talked about or hasn't delivered any sermons that I've resonated with in like two months. Should I find a new church? Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's, that seems like a silly reason to do that. And, and like, that's what I'm do that. I know. Honestly, that's probably what I did like a year ago. And I'm kind of like, we should do a whole episode about where I am at with church right now. Cause especially the comments we got on Instagram about cats episode. <gasps> yes. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to revisit those. Speaking of cat round out the whiskey bench crew here. Mm-hmm. I know we're, we're already kind of like gliding into topics she talked about. What did you think of her introducing Buddhism into her Christian love it. faith practice? I love it. Yeah. It's one of those things you want to be mindful of, though. Um, it's almost like cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. You know, like you want to honor and respect. Wow. So like, for example, what it was All Saints Day. Where I invited people when they come to light a candle of a saint that we're honoring, you know, we think about who are our saints. And I mentioned, you know, the ofrendas of Dia de los Muertos, where they celebrate Day of the Dead. You know, Mm. here's an altar for loved ones who have passed. I am not taking an ofrenda and making it mine. It's honoring what that culture uses that for, honoring that, but not manipulating it to fit the white context, Mm. you know, to fit the white American context. And so when we take pinches of other religions or other beliefs and tie it into our own, I feel like the most common one is yoga. Oh, yeah. You know, (laughs) you want to be mindful of yoga in other cultures and in other religious beliefs because it does serve a purpose that is slightly different than how we Americanize yoga and like when we try to be cute saying namaste and you know it's like no like that that word means something to mm. a religious group it mm. actually stands for something yeah. it's like when we when we say Shalom, good to have you back <laughs> the pastor is back i'm back i'm in my element yeah, that's right no that's a great example and like when we say shalom like i have people in my church who will sometimes oh like shalom like you know peace be with you and i'm like we're not Jewish. Like we need to be careful about how mm. we are using terminology. We need to be careful about the practices that we implement. It may beef up our faith experience and it may in the moment be great. But as soon as we take that and fit it into something else, it's like trying to fit the circle in the square. Like it'll slide whoa, because whoa. it's rounded, but you can't put a square through a round hole all the time. Well, it's it's all like on the flip side. It's also a great example of like why you can't just like let people say it, Hal Hitler. Yes. Like you can't just like let that slide because no. like that actually means something. Like someone can't just claim like, well, I'm just using it on my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because like you can't that just like something. You can't like redefine something like that that has like such deep ingrained meaning. Yeah. For something that was like so, uh, what's the right word? Not just loaded. Imp- yeah, loaded. I guess I was gonna say like impactful. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Well, and Emily's on to something too of the the effect of like taking another group's thing and changing the meaning for your own. Honestly, the the silly example I can think of is a Catholic and a football fan can say Hail Mary and mean completely different things. Yes. Yes. Right? Absolutely. And that's kind of on that train of like, this means something to someone and you've kind of cheapened it to represent like you know, got to throw the Hail Mary pass, like, mm-hmm. you know, 
we're on fourth down and right goal. like and that means or, something you know, like, to someone and <laughs> while the intention of like a hail mary in football is different than a hail mary in catholicism yeah it's not meant to be hurtful but there are people who can take it as being hurtful wow right and right, i feel like right. that's so common with someone taking a non-christian element and bringing it into a christian faith mm. Here, how's this for a transition this is also making me think of our episode with Pops and how I think he very wisely pointed out what might feel almost like the same effect when we try and like ham fisted, call it theistic evolution. Mm. Like it's, yeah, it's evolution, but God was behind it the whole time. Mm, Right. And like, we try to like transform the meaning of what, you know, scientific evidence shows us as the evolution of Species, the planet, the universe, yeah. and species by means of natural selection. But when we when we say like, yeah, I just think it was God behind it the whole time. Like that, it's it's almost telling the evolutionists like, oh, that's cute. You have it almost right, but let me yeah. introduce you to God at the same time. And you're right. Pops did speak to that very eloquently. Yeah, and yeah. I, I bet- also just love the fact that he talked. He tackled a topic like science and religion straight up topic you know we didn't we i mean we talked a little bit about his history but that that one felt very like classic ravel episode where it was just like yes here's the topic let's go let's go exactly oh i love that man i have been puzzling through and really sitting with him essentially saying like theistic evolution as a term has its baggage that Mm -hmm. he's not a huge fan of And basically boiling it down to, I think God did two things throughout the process of creation, started it and brought life from Mm non-life, you know, like those two thresholds of like big bang and organic life. And the rest rest is is just like, just a beautiful unfolding of God loving the universe through being present in it and continuing to animate it. Mm -hmm. And this is what we get. Yeah. We get baby Thea. We get baby Thea. <laughs> From the process of God. Oh, speaking of process, you guys, my episode with Piper on KNP. It was a good episode. Kind of transformed my life oh, a little bit. Yay. <laughs> we should debrief about process theology on a upcoming yeah, episode Yeah, that needs as to be well. an episode for sure. Wow. Yeah. So our, our final guest, just last week we had my beautiful partner. The lovely Dixie. Yeah. Uh, what was it like hearing someone on that side of like the fertility journey and like, mm-hmm. you know, having just had a baby, you know, yeah. like you're very much like freshly on the other side of what Dixie and I have been working for so hard mm-hmm. with. Yeah. You know? I, well, for one, as a woman, really appreciated her vulnerability of speaking mm-hmm. to that topic as someone who is actively dealing with that it's so easy i feel like for others to just be like well i'm a woman so fertility is something that i can speak to it's like no because you're not actively experiencing it like you know of it but don't assume that you can just jump right in so like i cannot speak to fertility issues like i had a baby you know there was a while where i was not 100 percent sure if i could but that now is a reality that is behind me because alex and i have thea what i also appreciated was her speaking to having the fertility conversation come about and when you're in a church setting the assumptions of 
you are a woman now in the church. These are our expectations of you and fertility being one of them. We don't want to mention it, but it's true. I cannot tell you how often I would be in an interview or engaging with someone talking about, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm going to be a pastor or I am a pastor. And they would ask me, oh, when are you going to have children? Like, when are you going to fill the Sunday school room? Are you, you know, and it would. And I feel like we talked about this on the episode that we did where I talked about women in clergy. If the roles were reversed and my husband was the pastor. Oh, wow. They, right. would, be, they would be asking me. This did come up. Are you going to be baking for the bake sale? Are you going to sing in the choir? Are you teaching Sunday school? Things like that. One of the things that they would also bring up, not all the time, but it's it's hidden there is, are you, you going to have children? You know, because you are you are the clergy wife. So we need to fill our Sunday school. We need to see people at children's time. So when I'm the pastor. They don't ask Alex, oh, hey, like, are you going to impregnate her so that way they can fill the Sunday school room? That doesn't ever come up. It's Great so point. frustrating to be a woman in, <laughs> in the clergy and to see how parishioners treat other women. Because they'll mm-hmm. do the exact same. They'll ask, you know, oh, here's this family, you know, oh, they address the woman because she's the one that birthed them into the world. And it's like, hey, yo, dad's right there. You can ask dad how he feels. You can ask dad about about these questions, too, about changing diapers and about uh, whatever. Huh. With infertility, though, that's a completely different topic. And when someone is struggling with fertility, when someone is struggling, whether it's, you know, they have tried and they are unsuccessful or they have a, a surrogate. Wherever they are in that story, for a church to look at that woman as less than or as different breaks my heart. Mm-hmm. And especially if, you know, they have the intention of being welcoming. And so, like, if Dixie was to walk into my church and they saw you and Dixie and, you know, they would ask, oh, you know, how long have you been married? Oh, do you have any children? And if you were to say yes or no. Like, I cannot guarantee how my parishioners would answer you. Like, I want them to full heartedly be like, oh, we love you. And, you know, we're sorry, like, that this is an experience that you have. But I know there would be some people who would look at her and be like, oh, Mm. and they would have assumptions automatically. That's just how people are. And you would think in a space where you're supposed to be inviting and welcoming and understanding. And we all have our experiences. We all have our stories. When we look at someone as being different or less than or having something to make them be seen as other, that would be something that I would feel like would be really hard. Part of it, too, is like there is a there's a weird unspoken thing where like if the Hennings show up at Cody Methodist, right? Mm -hmm. And all we feel is welcomed and like encouraged in our family life you know part of it too is like the baggage that we are raised with even if no one at this church says anything about it or is very positive and encouraging like explicitly on the other side of it Mm -hmm. there are still parts of the way we were raised that decades of growing up lds for dixie yeah is just going to constantly be speaking through her body because over decades so many years yeah 
she was raised in what Josh pointed out is a tradition that very much values procreation. Oh, yeah. Mormons and Catholics are kind of that stereotype for a reason, Mm -hmm. you know, because there's there's a huge emphasis on progeny. So now when you're the, you know, person with a uterus who can't can't produce utilize Mm -hmm. the uterus. Right. There. Man, I I'm so heartbroken and infuriated by the sense of childbirth is blessing. Barrenness is curse. And being her husband and watching those expectations be like weighed down, you know, like so many people are just like piling rocks in her backpack, right? Like carry this for me, please, because I don't know what to do with a woman who is supposed to bring more children into the world and raise them in a godly church so that we, the church gets to continue. Right. Like, cause that's part of the concern. Yep. But like that gets heaped on her and I just get to like float by and watch and be like, can you please not hand my wife this shit? Exactly. This is not helpful. No. You know, like you don't live with the consequence of you saying something, even if it's well-meaning, you don't live with the consequence of her ongoing depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. related to all these things for years now. Well, and so let's take a step further. Let's say one day she is successful in having a baby. Then it's going to be, well, are you breastfeeding or are you formula fed? Breast is best. Are you doing this? Are you doing like there's so many. It just keeps going. It just keep the rocks are just going to keep filling up her bag. You know what I mean? And it's so frustrating. Mm. Which totally makes sense. Bring it all the way back to Alex, the way he talked about like, yeah, Atlas shrugged. Right. But instead of realizing like I realized it wasn't even the world on my shoulder. It was just a backpack full of stuff Mm -hmm. and expectations that I I don't believe God ever wanted me to carry. Exactly. Like right? At any point, we could unzip the bag and like take all the shit out. <laughs> well, I just keep coming back to, I think I mentioned it on Dixie's episode about how I think sometimes people's like comments and questions, maybe not all the time, but I think sometimes they come from, maybe for lack of a better word, a place of ignorance. Like sometimes if you don't Absolutely. know the right question to ask or you're like, or it's something that's outside of the norm. Like when the norm, for instance, is having children. And then when someone Ugh. doesn't have children, of course you're, you want to ask about it. Like you feel like you should ask about it. Or like, I I feel like that can be applied to almost any of our guests episodes, like Marv with science and religion. Like if you yourself didn't struggle with reconciling science and religion, but then like someone in your church is, then all of a sudden, like you're not really prepared to ask any good questions about it because you're like, well, Mm. like, what do you just believe in evolution? Like, you don't know. Cause like you haven't struggled with that. Right. And I think that like, that's maybe, on the flip side of like people feeling like their struggles aren't handled well by the church or a community. Um, I think on the flip side, the people who don't know how to handle those struggles are often people who haven't been through them themselves yeah, and therefore don't know the right way to talk about them. And mm. of course that's just like another struggle of like, <laughs> how do we help curate these conversations <laughs> better? Oh, so true. Yeah. Emily, it's so good to have you back. I f- I'm so glad to have you feels back. feels good to be back. Oh, it does. Feels good. And for the first time recording in person. Man, fam, do we have announcements to close us out? What do we want to drop? First of all, I want to say thank you to all the guests, A, for braving the massive hole left in the benediction side of things. Um, yeah. If they felt moved to fill that space, that was so meaningful to us. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. Also, thank you to those guests who came in 
the Discord for the week of their episode and chatted with our patrons. That was amazing. I do want to say on that side, I'm sure I speak for all our listeners, Emily, especially our patrons. It's so good to have you back. Oh, you're going to make me cry. Your voice belongs here. It's yeah, very good. It's really nice. Stop. Speaking of Patreon, we do still want to do a Bible study. Yes, huh? we do. Absolutely. We really do. And we're so close. We are. Pulling that goal. So if you're interested, we have 20 patrons. Yeah. We're That's our goal. 20 patrons come in. We're thinking so many different opportunities for format, maybe like a little presentation at the beginning, mm-hmm. breakout groups, the potential of, um, you know, getting explicit permission from people in the Bible study to mm-hmm. have it recorded and then make that a bonus episode for people yeah. who couldn't show up. We also have a few ideas for bonus episodes it's in true. the works that we're going to talk about. We might start a, uh, a bonus feed for people in the Patreon community as well. Yeah. Wow. Um, I also have a gift for both of you. I oh. have prints of our stickers for you to take <gasps> home. Stickers are out. So, and if people want one of those stickers, they can go to the Highline Network shop yeah. and grab those. They're, they're two bucks. Two dollars. Think about where that two dollars goes to other than getting a sticker. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Emily, will you benedict us out oh, for I've the been first waiting. time in two months? I've been waiting for this. Let's see if I can even do a benedict. That's the thing, y'all. I'm going to be, my first Sunday back is the 19th of September, okay? Yeah. Which is also my sister's birthday. So that's pretty fun. Wow. Happy I birthday. had to watch one of my old services to <laughs> remind myself of how I do a benediction in church because I've been gone for so long. I have not preached since like June 29th was my last Sunday. Wow. Wow. So it's been forever. Um, so this is your first public appearance first back public. to the podcast? Yeah, Amazing. this is my first appearance and my first benediction. <sighs> Y'all, we have so many topics to discuss. We have so many stories to share and our lives are coming together in a space where we can be vulnerable, where we can explore and just know that we're learning so much together. We're exploring together and it is a wonderful journey to be a part of. And I love you all. Hello, and welcome to No Normal People. I'm Stephen. And I'm Dixie Lee. The internet didn't need another podcast interviewing the same famous authors, artists, and thought leaders. Dixie, my friend Bailey educated me about a word called sonder, and this is the realization that any stranger or passerby you see has a life equally complex, deep, and vibrant as your own. So join us every Tuesday as we talk to the normal people in our lives and hopefully inspire sonder in yours. No normal people. It's like Humans of New York, but a podcast, and in Montana. Highline Media Network. Normal people in normal places.